It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, starring special guest star, Mr. John Asher. Hey! hey. <laughs> Welcome back, John. How are you, buddy? Good Hello, to see man. you. Thanks for having me. Thank Always you. a pleasure. The audience loves you. Yeah, the folks love from you. the Road Rally love you. Yeah, the Road Rally was great this year. That was fun. It. Uh, I, I gotta say... I walked out of there going, okay, that really was the best ever. Yeah, which there's like always this magnetic energy. Everyone's like electric when they're there. It's like the first night I'm, when I'm uh, hosting the uh, the open mic nights. There's just an energy where people are like, can I check out the stage? Can I, you know, they just want to be involved right, like right away. And I think that's awesome. They want the the stage. I mean, it's a riser. No, they're like, can I put, can I test my my song out? And they're like, oh, get ready. Oh, yeah, I see. I'm like, the people are ready to go. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so, yeah. John uh, hosts hey the open mic. Oh, yeah, there's, we got our uh, Sorry, just audience really close going. to the camera. That's okay. Um, hi, guys, ladies, gentlemen. Welcome to the last show of 2016. <laughs> uh, so, John worked here for, I don't know, five years or something? Yeah, about, say about six years. Six yeah. years as one of the esteemed members of our A&R staff and uh, was well-loved by the staff, the other screeners, and... Uh, I'd say the members, maybe even more than us, if that's possible, um, always loved his feedback. And at the road rally every year, people get very excited uh, about speaking with him. And they stop me in the elevator and say, wow, I just uh, had a one-on-one. Yeah, they do. They say, I just had a one-on-one -on -one with John Asher. Man, that guy's so awesome. Cool. Um, so we're going to do a few things today. Uh, we promised during last week's show uh, the people who sent in the most number of songwriting tips would get a song listened to and reviewed by John this week. So we're doing that. Um, there's one gentleman that we missed last week. Uh, I, I saw him post in, in the chat where he said, I sent in 100 tips and you guys missed me. I thought he was kidding, but oh, he was serious and we did miss him. So anyway, we went... Uh, Back in time, we found it all and, and we got it squared away. Um, so we're gonna listen to his song. So we've got four of those. And I think what we're gonna do, because I've got some Q&A for you, uh, maybe we'll intersperse the song listening throughout the show. Yeah. So uh, before we do anything, I'm gonna read you his bio, although a lot of you probably saw it uh, in the email I sent out earlier, but. You can graze it, you know, whatever you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's weird for me because I've known John, uh, I just said to him before we went on air, I've known him since he was a puppy. Um, we've really watched his development and he is such a positive guy and a hardworking guy and he gets it and he's realistic, like all the right stuff to be successful. And uh, we've watched over the last three or four years as you've become like, not just tiny little increments, but like, you know, big steps on the ladder. Yeah. Uh, to, Trying and, to compound each step to make them bigger, yeah. you know. So, so, and it's not like, I said to him, uh, he said, I don't feel like I'm there yet. And he probably never will, but in a good way, you know. <laughs> I think that's everybody. Probably people in here will feel like they're never there yet. You just have to keep, I was thinking to myself today, I constantly have to keep my song, pal like what I'm working on as um, a, like a writer and a producer and a vocal producer and an artist, have to keep my song pool, my, my catalog fresh and like yeah. always with new songs. And because I, you know, if you're working with somebody, that person, uh, you know, they're like, oh, I have this song idea from like six years ago. It's like, let's 
see something fresh, just keep it going. Keep all your songs fresh. Just come up with new ideas. And I think that that's one thing that I really just kind of like took from uh, Taxi is like you hear the same things over and over again, but then it's like if you come up with new ideas, you, you have more songs to pitch. You know? uh, John said right before we went on the air that he sharpened his pen at Taxi. And yeah. I remember uh, Katy Perry said something like that to me, uh, who John and I both know. Yeah. And uh, that's cool. Uh, she was a screener here. Yeah. yeah, a lot of other people that uh, have worked here doing A and R say that they learned a lot about their own craft through teaching others. So, yeah. uh, John is an artist, songwriter, and a vocal producer. Uh, written a string of hit songs for established and emerging artists around the world. His most recent release, Setting Fires, co-written for the Chainsmokers, was released as the featured single from their latest release, Collage. Britney Spears, uh, he did the Britney Spears song Mood Ring, which is featured on the Japan Deluxe album of Glory, for which John co-wrote and did the vocal production. And I want to talk to you in detail about vocal production, yeah, the art of. Uh, music production on the record is done by DJ Mustard and Twice is Nice. Uh, John recently, uh, which I love the song, by the way, recently co-wrote Fool's, go, Fool's Gold by Aaron Carter and is the executive producer, producer of John's... Yeah, I'm executive of producer Air, Aaron's new album, Love, uh, which has recently been signed to Sony. John also co-wrote the title track for K-pop stars, Taeyeon, is that Yeah, Taeyeon. Yep. Taeyeon of Girls' Generation, which debuted uh, at number one in 13 countries and has sold a million and a half copies. Um, John also co-wrote the song American Girl, the debut single from Bonnie McKee, which was his first song to break the American Top 40, cool. uh, went to number 24. Yeah. Um, he's also penned two Australian Top 10 singles, uh, Loud and Light It Up for Stan Walker. Which was like my prerequisite getting into work at Taxi. When I had those top ten singles, you guys were like, "Okay, you can." We'll, we'll right, listen. he knows actually knows what he's yeah, doing. No, like, took, yeah, you no, know, that's what it takes. You guys filter who listens. So. Yep, absolutely. Um, anyway, he's he's also currently developing new artists and uh, always writing and collaborating and working with like amazingly big people and people that we've never heard of, but hopefully someday will, largely because of, of their work yep, with you. Exactly. And uh, I'm just, cool. yeah, I'm, I'm well, proud of you, buddy. Thanks. It's, uh, I love, I, I don't mean to make you sound childish, but I've loved no, watching I'm you grow and mature. Yeah. I, I worked, I started here at like 20, I want to say like 24, 25 or so. Wow. But really, honestly, it was, it was just such an opportunity for me. And it's still, I still think of every road rally as such an opportunity to meet new people. I find songs and talent that I'm like, there's actually a guy from the road rally I'm talking to right now. He's just sending me tracks. I was listening to somebody at the road rally, same guy who I'll, I, I'll leave unnamed. He was writing to tracks that I was getting sent songs to. Wow. And I was like, how did you get these tracks? So that was originally what got me to go, let me check out how you got, like, I need to figure out how you got these tracks. And then he basically was, he was good. And I showed one of his tracks what I heard to the producer. They, they thought it was cool, but you know, it takes time. <laughs> so there's another member that, uh, as I've gotten to know his music, he's a relatively new member as, as I've gotten to know him, your face has flashed in my mind a couple of times. So I want to make an introduction sure, at some yeah. point because you guys could probably collaborate. Cool. Anyway, um, Let's see. Uh, oh, I want to let you guys know that this, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this will be the last show of 2016 because uh, Christmas and New Year's both fall on the weekends. So businesses are closed on the Monday following Christmas and the Monday following New Year's. So our next show will be on January 9th. So mark that on your calendars. Um, let us play a song uh, to start the show. And this one's interesting in that... 
it's an oldie. Um, it's from one of our members. Let's see, who's this from? Um, Vincent, whose last name I didn't pronounce correctly last no. week. Uh, Mealy, I think, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think he corrected me in the chat room. Uh, so uh, I remember saying I've got a vacuum cleaner. The brand name is spelled the same way. <laughs> and it's blue. Not that anybody gives a damn. Uh, <laughs> anyway, this song... The MP3 is made from a cassette, and the cassette was the only recording this gentleman had of this, and it probably dates back to 76 through 1980, somewhere in there. So if you're Vincent uh, Mealy, there you go. Yeah, got that right. I remembered. Uh, Vincent, what year did you record this song? Um, it's called How Can We Run From This? Takes a slight delay. Yeah, there's a little delay. It's got to go from here up to a satellite across an ocean, <laughs> back down to another. 2004. <laughs> I just heard they launched a new uh, satellite that's supposed to make the entire internet much faster. Really? Yeah, wow. I think it went up yesterday. 2004? Oh, he put it in there. Okay, 2004? Really? Well, they still had I guess they did have cassettes then. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's have a listen and fire up. Speaking of 2004, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, while while we're listening to that, also send questions so that we can answer a few like you know things just while we're mixing around here. All right, my little robot of a CD player, and now. Uh, Yeah. If 
we're good and we've been good, press one. As far as quality, or broadcast quality. Some of you have mentioned connectivity issues. It's funny, most people are fine, some are not. Just so you know, I actually, there are like four levels of uh, bandwidth that I can broadcast at. For years, I broadcasted, uh, it was broadcasting at cell phone, like mobile. Oh, wow. It was as low as you could go. About six months ago, I upped it to the lowest non-mobile number, which is still pretty low. And that's uh, six months ago. And just in the last three or four weeks, we've been having issues with a few folks. I don't know what it is, guys. Um, anyway, so what'd you think, John? So it was clearly uh, dated. I, I do. I mean, you said you recorded it in 2004, but um, I do think that the sound of maybe the production and the songwriting just is pulling from like a 70s, like you said, 80s, early 80s like era. Um, with that said, I do think that the uh, melody of the, the note selection in the chorus was really memorable. Like, doo 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 doo. Like, those notes are really great, but I think uh, you just need a little bit more kind of contemporary value to the melody and the hook of it. So, I would maybe just work with the rhythm or something in the same note structure for that. But, yeah. Um, what is it, in your opinion, uh, that makes a melody? We recently talked on a couple of episodes about how uh, voicing chords differently, mm -hmm. like uh, leaving the four out of a, a chord, um, you know, just gives it a more modern tone. Melodically, uh, what do you find is different in melodies of today versus melodies of the 90s or melodies of the 80s or 70s? Anything that really stands out? Yeah, that melody feels, I mean, it's really, to me, it was like the, the right feeling, the right essence of the, of the chorus. Maybe you can go into a bigger, which you do actually go into a bigger moment, um, which would be like the second half of the chorus. Um, 
as far as the production and stuff is concerned, the structure may change, actually, if you did it in more contemporary production, mm -hmm. which would change where you would place the melody. Like, I would almost put this melody, the how can we run from this uh, melody, in a build-up, like, structure. If I was going to do a pop EDM, like, top 40 style, like, build-up, yeah. I would put it, and that would be, like, a build-up from this moment, and then it would end in the, the I belonged in your arms or wherever the payoff was on the of, of the chorus right what he currently has and then I would have this drop but that's if you were to do contemporary production um, in the EDM like genre or whatever but it felt very memorable that part the rest of it I can't really recall so I would work on melodic structures for the verses which felt a little bit more drawn out maybe um, that's what it is about the difference in eras is they feel a little more drawn out a little more emotional which you can do but there's a little bit more rhythm to it um, today so. Yeah, I find this stuff's uh, very um, phrasing contingent. Yeah, uh, the cadence and stuff. Yeah, and a lot of stuff um, isn't as predictable, you know, and isn't all on the ones. You know, all those things are absolutely true. Interesting pockets, but, yeah. Yeah, the guitar solo and sound in this really took it back to another totally. era. That's why I thought it was from the like mid seventies to the early eighties. Totally. It's like that guitar sound was even old. But you could redo that in a contemporary way yeah. where that felt really like it brought everybody listening back to it. Yeah. That mo that it's just the sentiment of that, like bringing them back to that feeling of what that felt like, but it still sounds contemporary, you know. So I feel like I'd work on the uh, the first of all the recording atmosphere. Where are you recording this? Uh, what kind of system are you working on? You know, it should be a little bit more updated for contemporary, uh, you know, consideration. All that said, Vincent, uh, we do work a lot with a publisher that uh, right. does a ton of vintage music stuff. If I know that you said that the cassette was the only master you have, they wouldn't be able to use that. But if you can get your hands on a quarter-inch two-track of this or, or DAT or whatever format that the master was and you own the copyright or control it and you own the master uh, and or control it, um, please let us know because this would be really great for an era, you know, a scene that takes place in, in that uh, I've got big poofy hair era. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Th this would totally. be lots of movies that take era, era pieces. So. Yeah. It, it, it's well crafted. It's just Sounds like it's totally. from another era. I remember the the statement, how can we run from this, is big. And also in the melody pocket of that, I remember. So, you know, the chorus felt good. It could use some updates. But So I, I want to talk about your career for a minute. Um, when I met you, you were already several years into it, and you were in your early 20s. What Do you remember the first moment where you said, this is what I want to do with my life? Yeah, uh, my mom used to buy my CDs from the grocery store. Yeah, uh, which was like the weird weirdest thing to me now that I look back. But so I, she would come home with like Enya, and she would come home with, um, uh, gosh, uh, Enigma. Okay. So those were like the and then like and then like Bach, like a CD of like instrumental or whatever. And how old were you when she was giving you this? These stuff? were element like you know elementary. Oh wow. So, okay. So there was um, my vision has always changed though. So when the show's not even long enough to kind of follow it, but <laughs> but it and it's always you know kind of going in a. But I've always had one goal, which was just to work in contemporary like music industry, pop music. You know, working, getting my songs on the radio. That was like my dream. You know, so whether I was singing them or not, and I think for for this from the start I always wanted to be the artist and be the singer yeah. and I think I still always will be that I think but I can also share that like vision but help other people with their visions too creating artists you know development artists and stuff like that so but um 
Do you find uh, that when you write stuff that you're hearing yourself do it, or do you write stuff and then, like, uh, you know, a, like a casting agent would, or a, somebody yeah. who casts songs? Do, do you write something and quickly know, oh, this would be great for that artist in particular, or that style of artist, or do you well, write for yourself and then it just ends up with them? It really depends on the session. Um, I'm more when I first started when I was working at Taxi, I had one of my first publishing deals. Um, at that time and I had started working at taxi and I kind of just was like sending songs off whatever I would write like ideas yeah. now I look back that was like my moment of like testing the waters and you know kind of like how taxi is you test the waters with your songs see how they irritate you know and uh, that was kind of my moment of that like trying out stuff and I just feel kind of like songwriting wise if, if I'm not set up on a session usually those are more like if I'm with an artist I'm writing for them mm -hmm. um, I like to look at the voice as an instrument so you can put me with any like I look at my computer station kind of like this as like my instrument and vocal production and all of that as one thing kind of like kind of like the man behind the curtain in a way every right. every every producer kind of feels that way you know but um, when I'm working with an artist I'm working through their voice and their character you yeah. know when I'm working with um, just myself, I'm kind of playing my character, but then I'm also thinking like, would somebody else cut this? But my voice is a little bit more unique, it's a lot lower, and I'm trying to write songs for contemporary pop radio, which a lot of those artists have these high, thin voices that can yeah. get, you know. So in those cases, I'll work with a co-writer, or I'll work with a demo singer. Um, often I like to use co-writers because it's, to me, a way to engage them, not just be like, oh, I'm gonna pay you for a demo, move on. I get more of a thing out of throwing ideas back and forth and kind of sharpening it, you know, and being like, what did you just say? That was it, you know, and like taking what I said and coming, you know, up with, with an alternate idea of what I've said and kind of just sharpening it a little bit. Do you find, so, what, uh, what's your favorite key for you as an artist and what key are the typical, you know, the... It's so funny now that um, I don't know my key as an artist. A flat, actually, or no, A minor is actually the uh, key that I find myself cutting my vocals in. Um, okay. And I find that because nowadays in contemporary pop radio, you're using a lot of auto-tune. I don't use auto-tune on the final product. I don't like it. I don't mm -hmm. like the sound of it. But I definitely use it to track with because it holds everything kind of in a place. And then I go through and I, I comp and fine tune and find the best takes. And I and then I work on um, timing and pitch in Melodyne. And I use Melodyne as like one of my main vocal production tools. So. Uh, I was going to ask this much later in the show, but as long as we're on the subject, I'll ask you now. Back in my day when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, the producer of the entire record produced the vocals. You produced everything mm -hmm. and, and generally speaking you had one writer two writers maybe sometimes in, in a group you would have multiple writers um, the whole phenomenon uh, of a vocal producer is relatively new how do you become a vocal producer what qualifies you how do you learn the craft how do you sell yourself to somebody it's like yeah. hey guess what i'm your vocal producer oh really isn't that interesting <laughs> yeah um i didn't i just i felt like the role kind of appeared in its own way with me because when i was first starting as an artist i took vocal lessons and i did all that and i set and i still work on a lot of the same equipment my same microphone that i bought when i was 16 i still record on wow. and yeah and i love that it's a gt55 a grew tube yeah. um but that's like they were bought out by another bigger parent company um later in years but that was about 15 years ago um and so you know it's funny to me like I, I just I, I do a lot of the same stuff I did as a kid I started out but for vocal production it was kind of like stepping into a role where I had to kind of learn how to do my own voice first like vocal production mm -hmm. so I kind of used myself as a template and then when I worked with artists a lot of them the funny thing I hear about vocal production of my what I do and my studio is that they've never sounded like that before that's the one thing I hear they're always like whoa 
I've never sounded like that before. And like, I don't know if it's a mixture of just like the technique I'm using and like the, um, the, my plugin settings, you know, my, what's uh kind of to my own right, little secret sauce. Yeah. <laughs> my sauce. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's probably more like a teriyaki. Yeah. But <laughs> cause that's, you know, but, uh, but definitely my secret sauce on it. And then mixed with just the energy that I feel like is like, uh, when I'm writing, I'm usually writing like this. At yeah. the computer to somebody because they're behind me singing and I'm saying so I'm it's a real it's a weird impersonal emotional state to be in like that you know what I mean so I find that the less eye contact we kind of are more real so <laughs> so. How, when, when um, you're vocal producing somebody and yeah. you're telling them how to approach it I always let them start with well we start with the melody um, and the lyric and the, and like sometimes there's a way that the things need to I don't like to rhyme like girl and like burl like it's too sharp of a rhyme to me like too perfect right. of a rhyme. so like if you're gonna rhyme things kind of soft rhyme it you have to word your mouth a certain way in order to make it work you know like um, I don't know pearl and like uh, I don't know what's another one kind of like that but whatever it is rhyming's but, not my yeah, bag yeah but you'd have to kind of round your mouth to match it and like I feel like that's where a vocal producer and they're going oh wow okay oh well, this lyric feels weird how can we make it you know work a little bit better so vocal production comes in different forms just like you know helping that's them get it out I had no idea that you actually worked I, I thought that a vocal producer just sat there and said I used to give the advice you know make it sound like it's coming yeah. from your toenails out through your heart and then you know, that's a yeah. like digging really deep for to sure. find that emotion. They, they definitely do. Um, I think that we. I always start off my sessions like I'm making coffee. It's very easy. We're doing whatever. We're hanging out for the first fifteen, and then I think that gets the singer into like a space, mm -hmm. and then they come up to my studio, and I we just kind of chill, and we just you know it's really I'm usually a four hour to five hour session to finish a song. That vocal, I mean the vocals that I get like are usually the first or second takes because they're in just like this flow, you know. And they're not overthinking. Not it. overthinking, and yeah. I don't make it about you better get this. Well, you know, that's like, why when you were talking so. about like reshaping their mouth to well, know, just make a rhyme work. Things, I mean, yeah. I would think that the artist would be going, okay, now I got to remember every time I sing Pearl. <laughs> well, it's, know, like, if they're good, they're just like boom. Like I work with a lot with Aaron Carter, and Aaron Carter's really great. He also vocal produces himself, but he he's really really great at just kind of like making it work with the vocal somehow. Mm -hmm. And um, I find that that's kind of the best artists can take direction, but also know what they're kind of doing and shaping it, you know, so because it still has to be there. So I let them do it their way. And then I go, hey, can we get another little bit more rounded or a little bit more projection? Or maybe we try it in falsetto instead of going full voice, you know, or maybe we try it because that's one that I always run into is we're belting and it's shouting and ah. and then I'm like, why don't we try it in falsetto? And it turns into like it feels like a hit all of a sudden, you know, or like we have interesting, yeah, little like tri uh, tricks and tips. So. <laughs> wow what did I hit last night my wife and I were watching something and there was a song that was so obviously like the Bee Gees uh, of you know 1977 era Bee Gees but modernized it wasn't them and whoever it was like stole their thing in a good way and the vocals were done that way and uh, I just you know everything old is new again so do you find that you reach into a bag of tricks and go Oh, I remember a certain artist that right. treated a certain type of song this way, and right. we have like this library of stylistic ideas or things that you throw at people. What do you? What is a vocal producer? Yeah, I'm a pop 
I'm a pop fan. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, I like pop music. I love Max Martin. I've met Max Martin. I think that he's just got a really cool thing. And I think growing up on that type of music, especially like the Sweden like momentum, that hip hop music, mm. um, all the Swedish guys are really, really talented. There's something in the air over there. That has always inspired me. Vodka to, and cold. Yeah. <laughs> keep them inside. Keep them, you know. Yeah. Lubricated. But, yeah. And so I just think that that's honestly what my, my personal pace has been like Max Martin and those type of writers. He wrote that Bon John jo uh, Bon Jovi song, um, It's My Love, you know? Yeah. And that's such a big, I remember being at my mom's office when I was a kid and I got that CD and I was like just blasting out my Walkman and I remember thinking like that, like so cool, you know, that feeling of just like, there's the lift, boom, yeah. boom, it's my love. And I just wanted to do that. Like I wanted to be a part of that. So I think Max is one one person I've definitely been like, you're you're awesome. One so of I, the most I anthemic songs of all time, I think. I think for, for me, Max Martin does anthemic songs. Like yeah. you said, so the lift is what I always get from a Max song. It's like that you know you're there, boom, in the chorus, you know. And that that's kind of one thing I personally look for. And there's all types of songs, but I personally look for, okay, that's never leaving my head, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like years later, I can recall that melody like that, you know. So. Cool. Yeah. I get it. Um, let's take a couple of questions from these guys. Uh now we're not sending the feed out the highest possible bandwidth. We're actually sending it at the second lowest. Anything lower, we'd be on a cell phone. I'm not joking. Uh, okay, I don't see any questions right there now, so let me move on. Uh, okay, one of the things that, uh, knowing you personally, you're really good at networking. Um, you're a likable, gregarious, honest guy. Um, and... You know, you move comfortably in the right circles. I have always contended, I've always told people, you don't need to live in L.A. But I'm going to retract that statement on the show today because you're a great example. You came from Phoenix. You live yep. here in L.A. I'm going to recant that and recast it by saying, don't move to L.A. until your music is good enough that somebody would want to write with you. Right. Otherwise, you could have all of the John Asher connections and social skills that you possess, but yeah. it doesn't mean anything yeah. if they hear your chops and go, yeah, yeah, not um, yet, buddy. And I've been that person and, uh, you know, where I'm like playing myself real, real early. I mean, I played things that were 30 seconds long for some huge people. And I'm like thinking now, like, look back, <laughs> I'm like 30 seconds. They don't care. Like, they're like, okay, how am I going to use this? Like, you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so there's things that I've learned over the years. I think that the best way, and you know, I chose to do it at 20 years old, but you know, I know people who moved out here at 30, 40, and they're writing with these 20 year old people as well. Um, and you just, you know, there's never really a time to do it until you feel called to do it. But um, for me, I just definitely. I moved to LA and I kind of just hung out with some people. I feel like my path was kind of divinely planned. I know that sounds real like spiritual, but it definitely feels like maybe it's the magic in LA, but like just turning left to right, you run into somebody in there. And I feel like if you have a connection with that person, I find that it's not about them helping you. It's about you helping them and them realizing your talent through, through exercising it with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think it was you that once said to me, uh, you ran into somebody at a party. It could have been Katy Perry, it could have been Max Martin, but somebody that was really big. And you said, I never, ever hand them music. 
Right. Um, yeah. uh, certainly not on a first date. Not know? on the so, first time. And yeah. let the, let those. And it, it, I don't remember who that was, but I run into that one pretty quite often. I mean, I never. I used to. I, I still have a box of my first business cards and, and CDs, and it's full because uh, like I, I it was like a thousand cards that I printed, thinking that I would just be flying them out. And I have like <laughs> maybe I gave out like maybe a hundred of them over like a couple of years. And, uh, and I'm not running around to everybody, but every event I'd go to, I'd have like CDs and cards and I still get that. But now when I see that, I think to myself, if it's not a networking event meant for that, like a taxi rally is a perfect environment for that. Right. If you go to a, um, you're at like a Grammy party where you're, you're amongst the nominees and you're amongst the people, it's really not about handing your CD at that point. It's about being in the moment being uh, open to uh, other people and allowing them to be open to you without spilling your like, hey, hey, this is me and your spiel at them, you know, allow them to ask about you and, you know, give them information and pieces. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Because otherwise, oh, good. I like it. Give them information and pieces. Yeah, because and that's in a high profile setting. A lot of settings aren't going to be these. I've, I've been to some pretty high profile parties, but a lot of them, I don't know which one we're talking about, but a lot of them are, are kind of just like, hey, I live in North Hollywood. We should write a song sometime. And they're like, I think you know. Might have either Katie's birthday party or her brother's birthday party. Probably uh, it was okay. a pool party, I think. Yeah, a pool party. It I, might, I, probably I, there's, I, been, I, there's been plenty. You know, I run in. Yeah, Katie's brother's a really good friend of mine, um, and I, you know, I've known Katie through the years as well, just kind of through the circle, and mm -hmm. it just was almost like again, David is like my best friend, and uh, it just kind of felt like a divine connection. We just were friends, so um, he's brought me to several parties, and I've seen some things and people that are music industry greats and like. I've seen, I've seen um, who's the Gangnam Style that guy, and I've seen Vanessa. Yeah. yeah, and then I saw uh, the guy with the gold pants. Um, why is it not, not a? Gosh, why is he uh, MC Hammer? Yeah, so I'll sign MC Hammer <laughs> dance, do a dance off in person. That really? Cool. Yeah, that was a cool one. <laughs> But you know, you see you see things in LA, and you meet people, and you you run in circles, and I think that's really cool. Um, so you do you do have to be in LA for that type of stuff. But for LA in general, I mean, and for the industry in general, I started literally. I would go underneath the desk, and I would record record vocals right there in my parents' home underneath the desk because I'd pad it up. I needed a vocal booth. Oh, cool! <laughs> so I, I would just like the desk now. Hit, rec hit record and then record the vocal really quick and come back up and be like, okay. <laughs> so you can do it anywhere. I feel like I'm blabbing on, so if I'm blabbing on, uh, pardon it's me. okay. But it's good stuff. Ask some questions. Um, we had a deal with CBS. Okay, cool. Uh, we should have a taxi rally on the East Coast in the spring. I don't want to wait till November. Well, Marcus, there's this little thing called the budget, and to get we've already done the calculation on this because people always say, "Why don't you do one in Chicago? Why don't right. you do one in Philly? Wherever." The problem is we have access to a lot of people out here that we don't have to buy plane tickets for. We don't have to spend four nights of hotel rooms for them, all that sort of stuff. So the road rally would not be free if we moved it. But, uh, yeah, and I don't think I could do two a year without uh, physically collapsing. Um, okay, so crafting music that's ahead of the curve. Um, if you see a question that you want me to write down. I'll just say thanks, Jim. <laughs> okay. Um I contend that what you hear on the radio today was signed a year and a half ago or slotted into a release date a year and a half ago. So what you're hearing today is contemporary for today, but it's not contemporary for reaching out to the future. What There's do a you, delay period, yeah. Yeah, what do you do? Uh, because you're obviously listening to what's out there today to stay contemporary. What do you do to stay ahead of that curve? 
Um, the the deeper you get in the music industry, the more privy you are to seeing what people are making. And um, like the biggest producers on earth, you're seeing the tracks coming out of those camps. And okay. so you're able to kind of catch the ahead of the curve, like beat, you know, like mm -hmm. what like what's going on in EDM, what's going on in urban, you know, trap elements are in EDM now. And trap elements are like kind of like the, you know, stuff like that. And just like, good sounding. <laughs> Got to do yeah. it when you record. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, Damn, I'm going to sample those. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but so, you know, you just, you got to kind of be ahead of the curve by, by looking at that. Um, but at the same time, a lot of people don't have access like that. So if you don't have access like that, I think what it's about for me is creating a, a, a trend because that's ultimately what they're doing. They're creating right. something, pulling from an old familiarity, an essence of an era, an essence of a sound, you know, a pulling from and kind of turning it into a new age thing not that you have to pull from anybody else you can create you know something out of nothing i went on youtube not too long ago and i was looking up um just like tribal chants like things and how they and i'm just like thinking i just made that up right here but like i'm just really? thinking yeah <laughs> but it almost gives you like a momentum momentum who and it gives you like a feeling and that's how those turn into melodies and those can turn into like ideas or cadences or you know and like it turns into whatever and like that's i get inspired by seeing real world stuff like that so i, I know that uh probably two or three years ago i was in a i think an a and r meeting here in my office with some of the staff members or some screeners and i mentioned pitchfork and everybody's like Ugh. And I said, what? Like a tuning pitchfork? Or no, pitchfork, pitchfork, the website, the, oh. the music oh, okay, blog, you, you, the indie music blog. And they were a little repulsed that I said that. And I said... I mean, I don't personally have a relationship with Pitchfork or, like, really observe Pitchfork, so I'm not familiar with it as Well, much. the point they were trying to make is that I was old enough that I was still listening to Pitchfork, and oh, gotcha. they were so far advanced and so much more indie than I am at my advanced age. That well, it's They, they check so out rapidly. stuff that, you know, like music blogs, indie music blogs that... I call it the, uh, I found something you don't know about world, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like, I'm cooler than you because I discovered this and I get the whole discovery thing, but sometimes the stuff that they're discovering sounds like crap to me and I'm amazed yeah. that people call it music. And then two years later, some essence of that made its way into a giant pop hit. Yeah. It's so weird. It just proves how old Gosh, I am. To I, me. It, well, you know what? It's not even, I don't even think that it's about you being old at all. I think that there's just so much change happening in the music industry and always a new avenue for new music. And like, it's like people are like, you use that. Like, it's kind of like, you know, like, oh, whoa. Like, it's like MySpace, you know, like, <laughs> like, but, and, and everyone gives you that feeling of, uh, well, it's not really hip anymore. People aren't using it. But some good ones that people use are like Beatport for EDM. Um, you know, those that SoundCloud, I know that's funny. But once you kind of skip through and just browse through what's hot and like what's what's newly uploaded, don't even look at what's hot. Look at what people are just now putting online. Right. You'll see some really cool stuff because there's some really talented kids out there that are never going to be heard because they're just kind of like whatever. And then there's the ones who are the ones that put it online and get discovered just because they had it on SoundCloud and you skip past it. You know, so. did you happen to be in the ballroom at the end of the road rally this year on Sunday evening around Sunday evening? I had to leave Sunday morning oh, okay. sessions. Yeah, we were doing a listening panel with like Michael Lloyd, Rob Shirelli, Andrea Torsha. Yeah, I love Andrea. Uh, yeah, and uh, there was a 10 year old young man, I can't remember his name right now, but um, yeah, we were randomly pulling stuff out. And was he a DJ? We, 
he had edited together samples uh, and beats, and, and this thing was incredibly good. Uh, I mean, especially because he was ten years old. Yeah, yeah. But he had his father with him, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I you met, met the kid. Yeah, he handed me a CD. I I have it still, and I've been listening to a few things. I haven't gotten to listen to his yet, though. When you do, you're gonna freak out what at what this kid is doing at ten yeah. years old. And and I got so excited, I jumped up on my chair and said, "Where are you? Stand up!" And then I ran back to him and stuck the microphone in his face Great. and said, "Tell us who you are." And the poor kid was petrified. I think I just overwhelmed yeah. him. Yeah. But this kid well, is going to be something. Yeah, yeah definitely. If, if he's doing what he's doing at 10 years old, by the time this kid's 16 years old, he, he's going to be Skrillex, you know? Yeah. He, he's, well, I'll take a look at him tonight. Yeah, check um, him out, that kid. And, and he lives out here. Do you remember his name? I don't. I can find out. Um, well, I have a CD, too, but we'll, we'll double cross Yeah, he, and he lives in Newberry Park, you know? Wow. He's like 15 minutes from here. Well, I definitely got the vibe that he was me when I was a kid, and I think that's, that's what it looks like. It looks like a shy, reserved kid who's, like, wanting to make it. I mean, man, I went on my mom, my first my first trip to New York at, like, 13, 14. My mom's an interior designer. She went out there for work. I went along with her. She gave me 100 bucks. We stayed in Times Square, and she's like, stay in the area, but here's money for... I had and, that same experience. That's really? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. The story, so she gave me 100 bucks for the day, get, get a cab, go see some things. I did some tours, and and I went to Arista Records, and I'm like, on their gold door, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> felt like and Charlie. And came down and let you no. in. <laughs> it felt like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It was this big golden door, and I'm like, this little kid, like, banging on it. And they were like, we don't take demos. But that's what it looks like, you know what I mean? It looks like the kid yeah. who's out there doing that. And so I, I will definitely take a look at what he's doing. The kid's got a genius about him, yeah. very mathematical in a good way. About well, he started young, so he'll yeah. that'll develop and get better and better, and he'll just have the intuition later to be like, so <laughs> I, my grandparents, I, I went on a, a buying trip. They owned a, a, a store, a clothing store when I was a kid in a farm town in Illinois. And I went on a buying trip to New York with them. And one day they gave me back then, you know, probably in the late sixties or something, yeah. they gave me 20 bucks and said, stay, you know, within this street to that street, that Avenue to that Avenue, basically in the times square area and, uh, meet us at the empire state building, wow. you know, at this entrance at four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And it, same experience, except that my grandparents took me with them. They would go to, uh, you know, like fashion places and you would they see would mod enjoy, yeah. models. Well, I got, I went to like the Hanes underwear thing <laughs> yeah. with them and they had, I was a 13 year old yeah. kid, you know, with these like gorgeous 18 year old young ladies yeah. modeling underwear. At the like, Hanes, oh, yeah. Yeah. A little much for me to handle. At That's time. awesome. But thanks grandma and grandpa. Yeah. Here's some money. Go enjoy yourself. <laughs> um, Okay, you've heard thousands of songs and instrumentals over the year from Taxi members, and you've done the Road Rally, you've heard tons of stuff. Of yeah, probably. <laughs> Is there one overarching thing that if you could kind of wave your magic wand and go poof uh, and kind of get everybody over a, a very common mistake? Is there one mistake that a lot of people make? Probably not everybody, but a lot. I think it goes back to beating an old, beating a dead horse on a song. Um, you've got to continuously rebuild your, replenish your supply of new music. I mean, weekly, daily, three songs a week. You have to keep doing, like, if you really want to do it seriously at, like, a level that a real songwriter is working at, yeah. three to five songs a week, you know, to, and that's just on the side while you do your business. You know, you got that's just keeping your, your fridge full, you know right. what I mean, of new, new collaborations, new things, new songs in the works, and then those things eventually turn after time passes, and the more you do it, you know, they turn into releases, and then they, you know, 
and that's what you all hope for is a release. I mean, for Britney Spears, I waited two years on that release, almost two years. Wow. Simultaneously, Chainsmokers around the same time. So like um, killing you? Yeah, it was probably the most transformative time in my life. <laughs> so because it was definitely, I mean, I was working every day here. Yeah. Every day here. Um, and going and doing sessions after around three o'clock, which is still kind of my schedule. I start my sessions a lot earlier, but I definitely, you know, I was waiting every day for that thing to come out thinking, is it coming out? Is it not coming out? Did it make the album? Is it on the deluxe? Is it on the regular? Is it on the, you know? And so I'm just thinking like, it, it really, it was my first rodeo. <laughs> I remember the day you told me, you stopped me in the hallway on the way to the men's room. Yeah. And said, I did. Yeah. I <laughs> said, hey, just want to let you know that thing I've been talking about. <laughs> it happened. Yeah. yeah. So... Cool. Uh, let's listen to another song. Let's do it. Let us listen to... This one is by Keepa Freeman, uh, and it's called uh, If I Only Had Tomorrow. If it would only play... Come on. Wake up. If you guys have questions, make sure to put them in here. I'm glancing at the screen, so... It just worked. I think it's time to replace this one. <laughs> All right, one more try on that. You know, some CDs just don't burn right either, so... There we go. Now, I tested this one out. Uh, there we go. I always like shuffles. Mm -hmm. I heard your question, hear me first. The words can count. Breathing hurts, don't hear these things here Too much work, can't take them When you go, you ask me if I have regrets I wish you knew what I'd say next I lost my last chance to confess My last breath stole the show If I only had
next I'm bound to what I craved So I fear the next thing I might see And I found some new priority Sounds I lay still and try to reach the rose Dead on my grave If I only had tomorrow Or if only one more day I'd do things a little different Do a lot more listening Sorry about the levels. The, the song actually had a lot of dynamics in the bass. Yeah, and yeah, it just I was peaked slightly. So yeah. All right, cool, awesome. Well, I actually thought that the voice was great. Somebody used the word inviting. I think that's a good word for it. Feels um, feels really calming, warm. Um, feels kind of you know we're in that winter vibe. Kind of feels warm in winter. Um, yeah, but, it's like 58 degrees out. Yeah, <laughs> freezing here. <laughs> freezing here. Well, I just came from Arizona. Believe it or not, it snows in Arizona. It was snowing up at the cabin. So wow. for Thanksgiving, yeah. Um, but I finally had tomorrow is a great title too. I think that sounds like an epic, like big, you know, kind of like one of those Diane Warren titles. But I also feel like um, you had also we had listened to the song earlier. Where you had also said like the momentum going into the chorus. I felt like the momentum didn't really hit me as much as I wanted it to. It definitely has um, like a familiar feel in the chorus, but it needs to be more memorable in my mind. So I don't know if that maybe that just is like some type of like. Um, like trail off chorus or like it's something that ends the chorus, maybe the latter half of the chorus. If I only had tomorrow, only just one more day, I'd do things more different, you know, kind of go into that. But I, I don't know if it's maybe just more of a post-chorus or if it's the main chorus. So it, it the song has a lot of intimacy. Yeah. It feels like it's somebody, you know, sitting in this cozy place. Uh, well, the crackling you heard was the fireplace, <laughs> not the bass distorted. But it does. It, it's, you know, look, you're sitting here rocking out to yeah. the shuffle of it right now. Yeah. And I know I'm going to hear this later tonight. To me, it just felt like the chorus needed to be more memorable. Yeah. It, it's so on the right track, and it's got a great vibe. By the way, um, I, I'm obviously mispronouncing your name. It's Keppa Friedman. So my apologies for that. Um you could do that if I only had tomorrow part as like a pre-chorus and just do half of that. You don't have to do, don't, and then come up with another melody after that as your chorus that kind of feels bigger 
and more memorable. But that if I only had tomorrow, maybe it could be like a pre or a build up or a post chorus. Um, but yeah. yeah, if you only had tomorrow, what would you do with it? Yeah, maybe that's the place to answer the question. Uh, yeah. although I didn't have a lyric sheet, maybe he as your last. Well, this one is yeah. I mean, as your last breath flows through. So maybe dealing with a loss, but. Um, but yeah, so maybe just try another thing. And then one more thing I had heard, and uh, this is not to call you out, but I had heard the metronome in there. So for, you know, more commercial use or something on television, all that stuff, I would cut your audio files and then fade the ends of them to cut out that, that you know, you want kind of a room noise. You can get that kind of like that um, smooth over effect by like a little verb or something, but cut your, cut the metronome pieces out when you're not singing. Because you can hear it in between your takes. Boom, 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 boom. So I just wanted to make sure we got that out. Yeah. We've all had that magical moment where the performance was so good that we just went, ah, crap, yeah. the metronome's yeah. in there, but the yeah. performance is yeah. like a once in a lifetime. Well, it's on the beat, too, yeah. so, you know, <laughs> obviously. It just kind of feels right, but cool. Right. Right. Great job. Um, I wasn't mad at that, definitely. Um, let me stop this for a moment. Um, somebody asked what your favorite microphone is. Well, like I said earlier, I'm using the same mic, a GT55. It's a groove tube. I got it at Guitar Center when I was like six, 15, 16. And you use it for everything? I mean... I just recorded today um, uh, a fiddle on it. It's a vocal mic. Yeah. Um, you know, but I just definitely, I use it as a tube mic. So I just, and I also had a SM50, or a, uh, what was it, a 50, it was a Shure, actually. Uh, and a, a round pop filter on just, the end? No, or? just a little skinny one. Oh, so it was a 57, 57 yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I used that today, and I just didn't get the... It was a little bit thinner than I wanted, so I used this vocal mic with this amazing... Ch um, uh, what did I just say? Fiddle. Fiddle. I'm yeah. going through all the strings we were talking about today earlier. And I just came from a session, so pardon me. <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, so we were just rocking out, and it just felt warmer and more full, so I just went with that. I mean, my I'm not really equipped to record like strings in my house so we improvised and it sounded great so <laughs> uh, I was at somebody's house for dinner Friday night and their daughter is a world-class harpist and, wow. and she's moving to New York and they just wanted to record like an album's worth of their daughter playing harp and they asked me to refer them to a studio and I said for what and they said well we, you know we want to get a really good recording I said go get a, a zoom with the you know the stereo mic built in for a hundred bucks, I mean Beautiful. they've got a living room with a twenty foot ceiling. Beautiful. It's got a great two second natural decay with no flutter in the room. Then they can play around and not have yeah. to be on a temp time limit. Right. A bill. Yeah. <laughs> I, I told him. I said just set her up in the middle of the living room on a piece of carpet so you don't get the harp scraping yeah. on the floor or something, and then. I was clapping my hands. People are walking in the living room. You're like, no, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I do that. I go into restaurants and clap my hands. Um, but, yeah, just sometimes a stereo recording of a simple thing like that in a room is the best way to go. Yeah. Um, and Jim Carvalho asked, uh, do you have five, can you name five favorite Jeez. EDM tracks? I saw course? that question and I was like, should I start writing them down? Uh, <laughs> I mean, off my, just top of my head, I can name a few. Some ones that you said something about, maybe they could be from the past, like my childhood. Uh, I'm Blue. I'm Blue. You know that song? Uh, that was... Um, one of my favorite dirty uh dirty vegas i love dirty vegas but these are all like pre to me it's like experimental edm almost it was like the it was like the the birth of edm where all these other artists you know and now we got the like edm i kind of consider now it's like 
what Warp Tour turned into. Like, now it's like, yeah. and they figured out how they could all just split off and do their own individual Warp Tours. <laughs> you know, well, it, so. it's so hard to define EDM anymore because to some people, EDM is a pop track on the radio because yeah. well, they're, they're, so, they're so EDM based. I really respect the Chainsmokers, and to me, it was such a blessing to work with them because they, they, uh, they for them, they're looking at it as a new way. They're an artist, right? They're making this, they're playing this. And he's also now singing his work. Uh, one of them, uh, Drew, is singing his work. Two guys in the band? Drew and Alex, okay. yeah. There used to be a, th- a third. I think back in the day before I met them. I've okay. only met them as two. Yeah, so um, I've known them for about two or three years now. But they basically, uh, they're artists. They're really talented. They go off and they find an artist who is also talented and feature them on their, their record. Yeah. And then they find great up-and-coming writers. Like the people who wrote Closer, you know, um, they, wrote, they wrote Closer had um, Halsey sing it. And on our song, Setting Fire, Zylo sang it. And it's just really cool to see a collaborative artist happen. Mm-hmm. And then those artists can go out and do entire, like, tour shows with these big, you know, EDM festivals and pull in 20, 30,000 people a show or a night. And, you know, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. And I think they're playing the uh, L.A. Convention Center. Is that what it's called? Where they, uh, it's where they play soccer, I believe. But they're basically... Never been to a soccer game. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's they're playing something uh, down uh, towards wherever. It's like uh, near Compton, I believe. Leave, but it's this huge. I went to an EDM festival there, huge, just this massive arena, and it's where uh, it's where the Galaxy. Or I mean, is it the Galaxy indoors? Yeah, outdoors. Oh, I, it's outdoors. unless they can close it, but it was definitely outdoors. Wow, it's a beautiful facility, and so they're gonna play that. That's they're they're headlining that. That's their own thing. So how do you as John Asher, you know, young man who's wanted to be in the music industry his entire life essentially? How did you get there? How did how did what chain of events led to you writing with them? Uh, he said Home Depot Center in Carson. I believe that's it. I believe that that's it. Sorry for... I believe that they changed the name, too, so I apologize if... But um, how did I get my start? Uh, no, how, how did you end up working with the Chainsmokers, going from, you know, this 10-year-old kid whose mom brought records home from the grocery store? And you, yeah. That's a huge deal. And I didn't grow up on MTV. <laughs> I didn't... I couldn't, I didn't, first of all, we didn't have... We had satellite... Once I entered high school, like, that's when we got satellite. Yeah. And so I grew up not watching any pop, like, television, any popular culture. Couldn't watch The Simpsons or The Roseanne or any of those type of things. Oh, my God. Any of the... You, you poor know. kid. No, no. I mean, I, I'm glad now that I look back because I'm going, you know, like, eh, I didn't need it, you know? So yeah. I'm glad because it made me focus on... It made me look inward on creating something out but of... no Homer Simpson? No, I what couldn't watch terrible that. child. Yeah, I know, that? right? No, I would, you know, there's the moments where you're like, and they're not home, turn it on. <laughs> you know? So, but, but that was no, no cable, you know, that was what we were limited to, so. It was more of a Fresh Prince Bel Air, you know? And I also liked, oddly enough, Supermarket Sweep. Don't ask me about that. I won't. <laughs> so, I promise I won't. It was a game show. Um, but, you know, what What were the event? steps? Yeah, I mean, yeah, how did you 20 years old, I moved to LA. Um, I was 19 working at a restaurant in uh, Phoenix. So I'm 29 now, so it was 10 years ago. Um, I just graduated high school. I went and sold cars, didn't like it, moved wow. into, yeah, weird. I, I sold cars just to get by. I had an audition for a movie. I'm just kind of going through the list. Did the extra in the movie thing. Got me excited about being, you know, kind of in the limelight. Music is, I, I took piano as a child. Um, I wrote poems and had them published as a child. And keyboard's still your main instrument? Yeah, but I'm more of like now, it's funny. I look at the vocal, like production as like my instrument. I know that sounds so weird. Not but really. I'm receiving tracks from really hot, tie, top high-end producers. Producers, 
And at that point, I'm not creating the music. I mean, that's right. what I started as. I started as the producer. It evolved, but I'm a collaborate. I'm a collaborative, so I like to work with these. So big you get dogs. stuff that's already got top line. No, um, sometimes if they're like, "Hey, we need a verse or a new hook on this," and it has like a part that they want to keep. But no, I typically, yeah, no, they send me tracks, instrumentals, and I'll and like a pop instrumental, a hook. So and and do you get this stuff through Rock Nation? Or yeah, so Rock Nation hooks it up too with the tracks and the connections. They definitely facilitated my Britney Spears cut, and Rock Nation has been awesome. They've been really um, a home for me uh, which is what I needed I needed a place to kind of go okay freedom to create now and they're like willing to illuminate that and let and give right. me a path you know like the old days yeah yeah <laughs> I mean it really does feel like that and so I just felt like and I've got a lot of great partners on all different types of the industry but um, I've so got a, did the chain smokers come about because of chain social smokers connect, came through a track. or came through a track. was it something uh, the track came to you because of rock nation or because of so your no I've got a great no, network of people I've got a great uh, collaborator on the chain smokers track Melanie Fontana and so Melanie Fontana and I we we kind of grew up in the industry together she's been such a, a light in my life somebody to work with um, she had been sent tracks by the chain smokers and they weren't the chain smokers yet they were just you know the dudes that were like trying to get cuts they were just having a few cigarettes a day <laughs> I guess yeah <laughs> um, they would send us ideas like little chord progressions and like hey will you do this idea like uh, and even like lyrical ideas at times there was one time wow. they didn't use it but they were like hey can you write a song with this concept go and we were like cool because that that's like a collaboration you know um, but we've written several songs for them, and they've loved them all. But they really chose "Setting Fires" as the EP starter, number track number one. So, how do you guys on a five keep, song thing that they've blown the pop music out of the world with? How, how do you keep track of all these collaborations? I mean, is there do the people at Rock Nation do this for you? Where I'm on, I'm like two, 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 two. I'm on top of it. I'm emailing ASCAP uh, on a weekly basis, you know. Um, and I love that connection because now that I know people at ASCAP and people at Rock Nation and all these people. They definitely are, it feels like I've got a team now who, and I'm not the only person they're focused on. They're focused on a lot of different people, but it feels nice to know that I can call somebody and have a connection with them. And that is kind of like, hey, that, that, that song was registered wrong. Can you fix that? And like, that was such a simple fix for them. You know, for me, it was like, ah. <laughs> so when a track shows up uh, on, on your computer, um, it may have started out with the Chainsmokers, those two guys. And they may have gotten some piece of it from somebody else and some piece of it from yet somebody else. And now with this one, they sent us a track and um, it ended up, which I'm going to leave unnamed, but it ended up, I think re they released it as another song later. Mm -hmm. But um, it, we wrote to a track and then we ended up hearing the track later and be like, oh, that was the one we wrote, whatever, um, they didn't take on, you know. And so we were like going, okay. Um, this original song, but what they did was they stripped out because they were like, okay, well, that might not be for that production. So they stripped out acapella and did a whole new thing to it, and it just blew the other thing, like the other pairing, out of the water. And I love that because they can go. It's it's people who aren't precious to what they've created, and I love that because it's like it's an, like I said, keeping your fridge full, always having uh, a, like a replenishment. Like you're not worried about just that one production. Ah. Eh, Throw that one out, do a new one, you know, and right. like you can, that other one could be another song. And then like if you don't like the acapella, then they, and they don't want it, then that can be another song, you know. Just keep, don't be precious. Just keep the collaboration going, you know. It's funny that you, not funny that you bring that up. It's important that you bring that up because people do get very precious. It, it, it's an overused term, I believe. Oh, they're in the, the songs the night of. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> like, and, and they, 
hear it this one way and, they, yeah. and it just stays there and yeah. they can only imagine it that one way and yeah. what you're talking about using the refrigerator analogy is coming home and going let's see i've got eggs i've got celery i've got goat cheese yeah and yeah. going okay what's your palate you know yeah like, what do you also another way to look at it, i call it the keeping it the fridge full it just means you have a stockpile and guests come over you know but more like as an artist it's like you've got a palette of colors and you know when you use up a color you got to put a new some more down you know but sometimes you got to wipe it off and start over but like every year i look at it as okay i've written hundreds of songs this year or whatever i don't even know i have a count of this year it's been more about seeing the songs that i've written for the past couple of years come to fulfillment and making sure that i have more songs to keep pitching that's what this year and that means. also brings better stuff to you because yeah. now you've got credibility in that network of for people sure. who are considered credible you have joined their ranks for sure yeah. which brings better stuff to your door step absolutely and I cool. feel very lucky to be working amongst some people that I've grown up you know loving like what they've worked on and I'm like sitting here like I can't believe I'm working with you right now that's really cool and even people who I'm just meeting who are just breaking on the scene like the chain smokers when I met them again they were just two dudes being like hey guys want to write together and like we never actually met them until just recently it was always just an internet relationship we sent over tracks they'd, or we, they sent over tracks we'd write acapellas so on and so forth, and then um, we wow. would just kind of send them back, and then they would go, cool, send us the stems. <laughs> and we would so, drop, you know, the stems off at their, you know, whatever. <laughs> so. Very, very different world, um, in a good way. Uh, yeah, uh, very informal. Yeah, you know what? I think now there's no right or wrong. The record industry is becoming more of like, it's like a social, it's like, it's a so, there's a social element to it now where, I'm like on Facebook and I see Diane Warren posting on Facebook and I'm seeing all these people that I know commenting and she's interacting with and liking and I'm going, you are one away from some people and you don't realize until you get on Facebook and see how one away you are, you know. Yeah. I even see a lot of taxi members interacting with um, some people that I know and that makes me encouraged because it shows that a taxi can serve as kind of an open thing, always available to the artist, you know, and yeah. kind of in meeting people, networking, coming to the things. It's know? absolutely become geometric. Yeah. Uh, the the branches I, I I never imagined when I had the idea for this company that there would be like this nuclear core and then this geomet geometric progression over the right. years which now has just expanded literally all over the globe and and I see members well you definitely have created a I mean it's kind of like an engine that's never turned off it's always kind of churning and it keeps the the water fresh with these new talents I mean there's an artist um, that I actually have been seeing at taxi since she was like 13 that's now signed this big publishing deal and working off you know doing what she's doing and I'm and I see her at the rally still and things she comes by and does all all the ASCAP events and she's out there doing and it's like reminds me of a young female me yeah. because she's out there getting right up there handing the CDs and and, you know, and her name's actually, I'll just shout her out. What's up, Sophie Rose? She's a taxi member, you know, um, but I saw her since she was a little child coming out. Now yeah. she's like a young woman and she's, you know, in the riding with some people that I even know. So really cool to see it's, taxi be so involved in the music industry. It's yeah. more than I ever envisioned. Well, I think it's, it's just takes, it takes time for that to come to fruition. You know, uh, a Katy Perry coming out as a screener from taxi yeah. takes time, you know? Yeah, you can't force it. Uh, you can't force it. No, <laughs> it's organic and it just happens largely because of the people. Yeah. Um, okay, let's listen to another song. This is called The Weight of the Stone. It's by Doug Briscoe. Check my levels now. Picture yourself. 
say there's definite builds and uh, climax moments and releases and you know you can feel the cinema the cinematic element to it which is cool you know for for a picture um, 
I noticed somebody said kind of what I was thinking when I first heard. The vocal feels a little loud. It might be a lo- it might be a little high end, um, but I'm not really sure on the mix. So, um, but yeah, it does. It, it was a little the, strident on the top end. Yeah. I know these monitors pretty well. Yeah, it cuts out a little bit. So, um, I definitely or like the high high end on that. But um, I definitely think it has uh, momentum. I felt like the only thing that really stunted its growth for me was the perspective and the person and of the person in the song singing about themselves. And uh, just kind of almost like a hopeless vibe, like there's no no tomorrow, you know, it's kind of like I want it to end, but I don't know when it will. Hopefully somebody can just do it now type of a thing. <laughs> and I feel like that's a little bit depressing. Um, I don't think that you maybe mean it like that. Maybe it's just some emotional thing, but I think that maybe a, a positive perspective on it, a twist, like a Phoenix rising out of these ashes could definitely give you a little bit more commercial value to it. Because it's hard to pair that to a scene when, and for film and TV, when you're, when you start off by telling the listener to picture themselves thrown to the ground. First of all, that's very specific. It is the scene. Yeah, that is the scene. (laughs) It literally is the script to the scene. Someone puts a stone onto you, it's flat, not round. I mean, you can't get more specific than that because if you don't have a flat stone in the scene, then it's going to be a bit bizarre, you know? (laughs) But I do think that um, the perspective on that needs to be flipped, like, you know, when you've been, when you've been hurt type of thing you can always do this or you rise again you know so the emotion of it was was cool and you're right had a very cinematic quality to it but the specificity of the lyric uh, it's not right for radio and it's not right for film and tv because of specificity so as cool as it is where do you pitch it right yeah but it's cool yeah it's one of those things you kind of, you know, you just, it's like in the film and TV world, it either works or it doesn't. And, you know, for contemporary pop, it definitely wouldn't work. You know, I think that the perspective on the lyric needs to be a little bit more positive. So that would be my takeaway. A um, couple of questions that came up while we were listening. Uh, what do you do to avoid cliches? Um, I was telling him before the show, Taxi has kind of given me like an upper hand in this where I... I'm able to go, oh, I've heard that concept before. It might be a little cliche, you know, my, or that, the way you said that might be a little cliche. To avoid the cliches, man, I try to pair things together that I, in a beautiful, poetic way of some sort. A lot of it can be puns. A lot of it can be kind of these polar opposites, you know, or a lot of it can be um, just, I don't know. I just kind of try to create something that hasn't been said before and also open up a new thought a new a new direction too so coming from a perspective uh, you know so many of the companies we work with say find me something fresh it's really hard because there are so many people making so much music that a lot of stuff has been done and it's well, cliche as in audio, audio cliche or like lyrically, well, conceptually? Well, I, I, I don't know musically what cliche. this gentleman was asking for, but just well, in, in general. on both sides of that, musically cliche, I mean, four on the floor became kind of cliche, you know, like there was this EDM, like all of a sudden everything sounded the same and then it became cliche. It's almost like everything was normalized all of a sudden and it was like, okay, what's next? And then dubstep's like, yeah, now right. dubstep's even kind of normalizing where when you hear it, you're like, kind of 2015 you know <laughs> you know you're like but it's cool you know like cool i love what you did it's not bad but you know the new sound wave like i went to a major movie studio recently where they played me a major movie the president of this major movie studio is playing me a movie himself going we need music for this and they're playing me a dubstep thing and i'm going no i mean it, i wouldn't buy it like i wouldn't yeah. believe it you know so 
I just think that in those situations, I think that it's about kind of, again, being ahead of the curve, coming up with new ideas. But I do think that you need to kind of also observe what trends are and how to um, set them yourselves. <laughs> so it's hard. It's hard to set a trend. But I think that people like Skrillex, they kind of pull from other elements and they've created a trend. And then that got a little bit hot and then it normalized and turned into something else, you know. As many years ago, I asked a, like a financial advisor, you know, do you think I should buy a couple thousand dollars worth of gold or something? And he said, if it's advertised on TV, your, your yeah. time window is over. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> same, same. Yeah, totally. Because yeah. a lot of these times people are, are creating these two years ago, like we said. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, these are things that take time to go through the hands of people. And then when the artist is hot, it still can even take time. Things can be shelved, but sometimes they'll put it out instantly, you know. That's why I like artists who are cutting like down barriers, like the Chainsmokers who release a song a month and get stuff going. Right. Kind of keep people, you know, on their stuff all the time. It's funny, there's this danger, uh, you're trying to not be cliche and not get stale, you want to be cutting edge, but in order to be cutting edge, you have to try stuff that's going to be a mistake. Yeah, you're going to yeah. have a lot of failures. Yeah, you do. And you can't be precious, going back to use that often overused word, if you are precious about it and it hurts yeah. too much, when you make the mistake, you can't fault yourself for trying. No. Um, and then you got to wrestle, these guys have to wrestle with the taxi screeners thinking who by the way man if i had somebody between me i mean i'm sending straight to my publisher you know and sometimes i get those dreaded emails back and it's to me like a return it's right a, it's a return it's something somebody going eh, meh. and then the inner inside <laughs> of me is going and the inner writer and artist in me is like i will get that thing cut and you watch <laughs> you know and then i'm like going okay but on to the next yeah. You know, got to be on to the next. More stuff. That one kind of did its thing. You and, know, and, and no, but if your publisher's not trying to hurt you. The no. taxi screeners aren't trying to stifle not you or prevent you. They, they want to see you have something happen. Yeah. But for in the moment, Absolutely. for that opportunity, they're going, it yeah. doesn't work. And that's in, a, that's in a sense of when they have to pitch the song to an artist. When I'm with the artist, like if I'm working with an Aaron Carter or I'm yeah. working with a Britney Spears or somebody in general, that artist is going to have their own thing and I'm going to be kind of guiding that and writing that, you know. So at that point, I'm not really listening to what other people are saying. I'm letting the artist be an artist and we're worried about writing a song and worried about getting a great vocal and a great, you know, kind of... I like every song has to be like a piece. You know? How many hours a day do you work at this? How many hours a day are you in the studio creating? I wake up at seven o'clock in the morning because I really enjoy my mornings. So I like to have coffee and like kind of I just go into like my space, you know. And um, then I would say I started my session today uh, at eleven thirty in the morning, which is really early. But I had to get yeah, yeah I had to get a new uh, get going for for here. And so we did 11.30 till 3-ish, and then I sped over here. But to me, a normal day, my taxi schedule was 9 to 1. I would come do taxi, and then I would, from, from around, I'd grab lunch from around 2.30 or 3. I would work until the evening time, through the night sometimes on sessions. So I'm spending every, if you're, if you're a real, I understand people can't afford to do that. They have to get, you know, jobs and things. Uh, but if you're a real artist that's looking to make this happen, that's what it has to be. It has to be a constant grind wherever you are in the world um, and a constant focus and setting destinations and just kind of shooting, knocking them down, knocking them down, you know. So <laughs> for me, it's helped to set goals like for Britney Spears and to develop artists. I didn't know what artists I would be developing, but I wanted to develop artists. So for me, it was kind of like Britney Spears was, oh, I told you years ago, I think, that that was something I wanted to yeah. work on.
and you told me where to find her. You're like, she shops over at, That's and I was right. like, I'm not going to go. <laughs> at the antique mall. That's yeah, right. yeah. I remember I, I, we bumped butts together in a tiny little space. I backed up and, and hit somebody's rear end with mine, and I well, went. She lives just on the other side of this hill. Yeah, yeah. She, like two minutes from here, right? Yeah. 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 And, and I said, oops, I'm sorry. She said, oops, I'm sorry at the same time, and it was Brittany. Um, <laughs> it was Brittany. Yeah. Brittany. <laughs> my, my brush was stardom. Yeah. Um, You've had a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> Let's listen to another one. Uh, last one, actually. This is called What Am I Fighting For? And this is by Ben Harvey. Come on. You can do it. More questions, too. Fire, I'll be holding 
get on us. All right. Well, uh, I think the vocalist was great, especially for demoing pop vocals. She had really uh, what I call a vanilla voice, mm-hmm. where it's like, you, you know, that could be a Selena Gomez or it could be a Fifth Harmony demo vocalist. If you were to pitch this song, if you're an artist performing this, you know, you have a great pure voice. Um is what I'm getting to. So basically, what I felt like, I'm seeing a lot of the same comments, like I was reading these as well. Um, the the chorus doesn't lift into the place, or it feels like it's, it, like, it's, like, I can't really tell if this ended or if it, break free. So it's not on the, it's not on the one. Um, and I feel like maybe it needs to be on the one because it just needed a little bit more impact or something. So the, I was singing some melody, alternate melodies in my in my mind, but I do think the second half of the uh, chorus, where it goes back into that melody, no sleep, no time for dreaming, it just felt a little bit like, um, what's the word, monotonous, where it feels like, okay, we just heard that. I wanted the melody to change and almost soar or like go up into this thing. Um, but also, then again, the production also could fill that in with an instrument, uh, instrumental hook of some sort. Um, but yeah, this was the most contemporary EDM, I guess, that we've heard today. We didn't really hear any other EDM, but... So much. Uh, when I asked you the question before about, you know, if you could wave your magic wand all, over yeah. all members and maybe by extension over all uh, musicians trying to make it. Yeah, I'm thinking the thing that I would change would be contrast in choruses because mm-hmm. it's lacking. There, this person obviously has some craft, right. good melodic thing, yeah. uh, you know, not a bad, a pretty darn good demo, yeah. but it's missing that explosive quality in the chorus. So we said the, explosive chorus. I'm going to write these down because maybe these are like the laws to hit making. Yeah. Because <laughs> right. what was the one I said? Don't be precious with it. Right. <laughs> so. You know, I mean, propulsive beats. That's one of my favorite. Yeah, exactly. You know, you said propulsive, like yeah, like jet propulsion. Yeah, propulsive. I mean, you know, moving it forward, uh, propels it forward. Yeah, there's momentum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. um, That's what it is. So you know, I think with this song, there was a bridge moment where it felt like to me coming from a vocal producer and coming from somebody who like. I set the. I, I almost think it's the vocal producer's job to like almost set the final like what it's gonna sound like in a way. Like so, for me, it's like I almost would have the vocals in the bridge running through some type of filtered effect or something, and then like echo back and then come back in or something. There needed to be some type of moment because it just felt like the vocals were raw on top and just kind of raw there, and like it needed some type of transitional moment going in between. Um, I did just feel like that lift wasn't there for me. So, do you ever produce vocals on uh, a track that's not mostly done, where basically you've just got like beat melody and a bass yeah, part? Yeah. So, and... well, the Britney Spears song "Mood Ring," uh, Melody and I wrote at my house. You know, we wrote that to a completely different chord progression. We didn't really know the track wasn't really anything actually. Uh, we ended up sending the acapella off to uh, DJ Mustard via Rock Nation. Um, and Rock Nation placed that with Britney, but it was kind of like there was three versions of that track and different, you know, f- different feelings. One of them was like this clubby vibe. The other one was kind of like this almost like indie vibe, and then the and then the final one was this like real like kind of urban radio friendly vibe. You know, who made so, the final decision? Do, uh, who made the final decision? Britney. Yeah. She actually, I got the text when it was like, and she chose her song. <laughs> Cause she, wow. you know, cause there's a moment where she gets to look at the final picture of what she's been working on and go, 
I don't relate with that. I don't relate with that. And this is the most she's been involved, you know? And a lot of artists are, um, are that's what they want, is they want to be able to go, okay, you know? So do you go so, out and party to celebrate that moment, or do you go right back to the studio with that I was energy? In, I was sitting in my chair. I think I had my feet up, and I just remember being like, okay, okay, she chose your song. And then I got another text from somebody confirming that, and I was like, okay. It <laughs> so wasn't a prank. They were in the room when she chose it. So I was like, okay, wow. you know, so... Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just the music industry. There's always going to be those type of situations, and I, I love it. I think that's what I'm, I'm getting now. I'm starting to feed off of it. <laughs> Some of the people are asking why we're not playing your stuff. There's a reason I'm not playing his stuff. It's because if we do and I put it on YouTube, oh. they'll mute it. Oh really? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've had that happen before. I used to do a lot of shows where we would play reference tracks for you know big hit records. You could check them out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, obviously go to Spotify, uh, go to iTunes, but. Um, even though technically what we're doing is educational and fair use. Yeah. Uh, I know they're saying licensing. Yeah. yeah on the, YouTube. Bot, the bots don't know it, you know? Yeah. And that's automatic. They just do it right away. So. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, and somebody asked one other question before we wrap this up, because we are out of time, but somebody asked a great question, which is how do you prioritize your collaborations? Um, taxi members are involved with enough collaborations because they've gotten to know each other through the chat room here, the road rally, the forum, all those things. And they're having a tough time going, gee, do I, you know, work with this person, that person, this one's got a shorter deadline. How do you, uh, at the level that you're at now, prioritize what you're going to work on? Cause you can't possibly have enough time to do it all now. I'm, so, it's funny. I'm the guy who writes with the brand new people a lot of times. I love that. I love discovering something new. Um, I met a girl on the side of the road when I was riding my bicycle who needed, that sounds bizarre, but she needed directions in North Hollywood. And I sound like such a valley boy on my bike. Like this was only in July. <laughs> so <laughs> I was, I was carless that week cause my truck was in the shop. I was getting some, something done to it, a uh, new transmission. And I was like on my bike, riding to the gym. This girl, this young girl was like, excuse me, how do you get to the Metro? <laughs> and I was like, um, the Metro? I was like, the North Hollywood subway takes you downtown. I was like, it's down the street, down Lancashire. And we just hit it off in the first couple of seconds. A guy that I was kind of chilling with on another bike was like, he was like, yeah, this is my friend. He does music. You know, he's like right. doing that thing. And I'm like, okay, dude, we're like, whatever. Let's move on. Ended up turning a conversation. And that was an artist I now am developing a project with. But that's, you know, I like to find him like that. Got to keep it fresh. Like the, the way I kind of just do it is I work on what's in front of me. And like, I'm always open to somebody coming up and showing me music. And if I click with it, I know. And there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh my gosh, I need a girl that can sing like Beyonce right now and that's not going to be me on that demo mic. So I'll look for somebody who, you know, is even just in my vicinity of like even people who are just hitting me up at random and I'm going, show me what you're working on and like, let me hear what your voice sounds like. And I look for that new thing, you know, so. Can I uh, run a listing early in the new year? Um, yeah. You know, uh, Talent, looking for talent. Yeah, yeah producer. I never knew if talent. I was a, if I was even somebody who could run a listing like that. You certainly are now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, you could find an artist and choose to work with them, collaborate with them as a writer yeah. in whatever capacity. In I just didn't know if I was like, you know, but I because I was always I brought in listings, but I would bring them in for like these mega companies, you right? Know? So, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I would love to. I mean, I just think everything, all of your resources are right in front of you, literally. Like, even the people in this chat room, you should be, there's 63 people in here. One of these people are going to go on and do something really, really amazing in the music industry. Find that person right now. <laughs> so you guys should just link up, you know? People said that at the Road Rally, you know. Uh, I, 
Uh, hopefully more than one, but I'm saying at least one. Yeah, you know, in the ballroom at the Road Rally, I think it holds around a thousand people, and people in the industry have said that from the stage. Somewhere, one of you in that room yeah. is someday going to write a hit song, have a hit record, be a hit artist, and it's, you know, the responsibility, if you will, of everybody else in the room yeah. to try and figure out who that's going to be and work with them. Yeah, I mean, I at the Road Rally every year leave with CDs and just stories and meeting people that I end up seeing later in life, and like I've I've seen a few people over the years, not even just the taxi things, but they come out for other events, and right? Like, you know, they're just in it, and those are the people who really the cream rises to the top because. I was the annoying kid, and I still feel like there's people in the music industry who probably think that, that I'm that annoying kid who's like, listen to my stuff, because, you know, they've been doing it for for ages, but now I've got some footing, you know, some ground to stand on. But and you're not annoying. No, it's I know, but I was. Person. Oh, I was. Really? I was the guy who would, yeah, I would go on member directory on AOL in, like, 1999 to 2004, and I would go, A&R, search, and they would be like, and, like, people would be like, A&R for Hollywood Records, or whatever they were, you know, right. and, like... I would send blind emails out, and I told people about the rally. I was like, I'm not recommending it, but kind of encouraging it, but not recommending it. <laughs> but like, I definitely would just go out there and give people my stuff. But there's a way to do it in person and on the internet. You've got to always respect boundaries. So a lot of people blow that. They, yeah, they, they do. don't respect boundaries. And well, don't be. In, I mean, I was annoying. I can't. That's the, the part about it is I feel like I'm talking to myself again because I was <laughs> annoying. I was the guy who was like, but you grew out of it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, hopefully, I was the guy who was like. Yeah, let's listen to my song and like I'm gonna do something one day. They're like, yeah, cool, but like it's 30 seconds. Every year when I review the photographs from the road rally, there are a few people that show up in virtually every photograph near the stage with the industry people, and you see the arm out stretched and Love CD. That. year after year after year, it's the same like three people. Part of me gets a little annoyed by that because I feel like they're kind of hogging that physical space that maybe somebody else could have a chance you're seeing on the other side of it but yeah but yeah. i understand them and their drive and you know what part of me applauds them part of me is like a little turned off by it it's, it depends on their age too i feel like at some point you learn like if you're a kid doing it yeah you know come on kid you know type of guys thing. in their 50s yeah the guys in your <laughs> 50s you know at some point you just have to kind of ask yourself is this scenario appropriate you know am i am i overstepping my boundaries has this person acknowledged or asked to hear anything and if they're not really playing into what i'm saying then they may not be as interested as i want them to be but you know leave a cd if you can and move on the bars probably you know hang out at the bar and wait for them to the ask bar is you. a great place yeah. to do it what kind of music do you do totally. when you get that question there's your entree versus the, the bar one is funny. Um, I get really confused because a lot of people invite their friends down to the bar and stuff, and even people from L.A. locally. I, I ran into a few people who come in because they like the mingle of it. Like right. They're kind of like, oh, the bar, Like after all of the stuff's kind of the, the show of, of the day is done, everyone settles at the bar and kind of hangs out. Yeah. That gets packed down there. And, <laughs> and I see a lot of people going back and forth talking, but it's so much more casual. It's not so much in, you know, CD, yeah. CD, so much more casual. And then, you know, you get a few drinks in you and you just kind of like let loose. I actually started to lose track not because of the drinks I don't really drink that much but I started losing track of who was who as far as like who was in the music industry and who was not <laughs> because I'm going everyone's just mingling and intermix and I'm seeing these big wigs here and people who want to be aspiring here and I'm going that's cool though you know when it, that's the the blurred line that I think is where I exist in is like I am kind of that and I am kind of that but like I'm kind of in the middle of that too where I can like you know navigate a little bit <laughs> well you're, so. you're doing it really well I'm really really genuinely happy for you man Thank you. I, I've watched you grow into this and you deserve the success may you have much much more success moving forward and may all you guys have a Merry Christmas 
a happy Hanukkah, a happy, healthy, and prosperous 2017. And with that, let's say goodbye. Um, we'll see you guys January 9th. I'm working on getting a music supervisor here for the show on January 9th. Can't promise anything yet, but the the invite is out there, and we'll see. Um, John, well, thanks for letting me close out the year. Yeah. I, I didn't even think yeah, about that. Yeah. So uh, Merry yeah. Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays. Enjoy. Thanks, John. <laughs> thanks, we'll guys. See you guys in like three weeks, I think, January 9th. All right. Until then, I bid you adieu. Bye-bye.